Howdy folks and welcome to the Old Hat Podcast. This is episode 5 of the Old Hat Podcast and I am James Chambliss, also known as Old Hat, and I'm glad you're here. Episode 5 should be available on lots of different platforms than Episode 1 was. We're now on iTunes. Uh, Thank you for the reviews. The last time I looked, there were 18 five-star reviews, and a lot of you have left comments, and I appreciate that. And Kate Kate, that was the kindest, gentlest, I told you so, I think I've ever gotten. I appreciate that. Uh, They tell me that uh, getting good reviews is the way you eventually get a featured spot on iTunes, and that really drives traffic. So that'll be fun if we can make that happen. It's on Spotify, and it's free there. It's also on Overcast and Castro and CastBox, just for bubbly. That was the one you wanted it on, and we made that happen after some confusion with my tech department, who I sent a note and said, hey, can we get this on CastBox? I've got a specific request for it from an important person. And he said, sure, no problem, and then sent me a note and said, okay, it's on Castro. I'm like, well, that's great. (laughs) Now can we get it on CastBox? And he went, yeah, okay. So more to come. Uh, there are a lot of other platforms out there that we're uh, we're in the application process with, and we'll be on them soon, except for possibly Pandora. I've bought a new truck from a dealership that required less paperwork than getting a podcast onto Pandora. If Pandora is your app of choice, let me know, and we'll get more serious about it. But I was kind of daunted by the questions they were asking. There shouldn't be that much math, really, in an application to put a podcast up. And this podcast is brought to you, as always, by coffee. This podcast doesn't actually have any advertisers that sell coffee. I just drink a lot of coffee. We actually don't have any advertisers at all. I just, again, drink a lot of coffee. Uh, I didn't always drink coffee. I didn't really start drinking coffee until I was on the fire department. And one day we had, well, one one evening, we had a house fire that we ended up fighting until 2 or 3 in the morning. It was just dreadful. I, you just don't really know what exhausted is until you've been through something like that. And we finally came back to the station. And we had, you know, when you leave, you hit all the switches. You turn everything off. If you're cooking dinner, you turn the stove off. You just leave everything off. We had coffee on. Uh, I didn't drink it. A lot of the guys did. But we had turned it off when we left. And when we walked in, the lieutenant went over and grabbed the carafe that was on top. Now, this had been off for hours and hours and hours. And he tilts his head back and he drinks directly from the carafe. Look, 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 look. And I just stared at him thinking, that is so gross. And he gave a big sigh. And I said, man, does, does that help? And he said, yeah. It helps. It helps a lot. So we made some more coffee. And that really is the first time I ever drank coffee because I seriously needed something to keep me up on my feet. That was the start of a lifetime loving relationship between myself and coffee. I didn't drink it cold then and I don't like it cold now. I try not to let it sit around long enough to get cold. I also don't like it burned. Uh, You know, when it sits in the pot for too long and gets, I mean, I'll drink it, folks. Don't get me wrong. My standards are low, but I don't like burned coffee any better than I like cold coffee. A long time ago, for a couple of years, I was a manager of a 7-Eleven down in San Antonio. And uh, my store always had the freshest coffee because I hate the smell of burning coffee. You know, burning coffee just is not conducive to selling coffee. So I sold a lot of coffee by never having burned coffee there. That was back in the days when 7-Eleven hadn't gotten into grinding beans in the store yet. So it was still just, you know, everybody was kind of Folgers and you made the big bag goes in the great big filter and you made the big 
vat of coffee. It was great to work there because you got all the coffee you wanted, which for me was a lot of coffee. I don't know if you've ever worked in a convenience store, but they always have personnel issues. You just can't get enough good help. And so sometimes you end up working three shifts and a lot of weird stuff happens. And that's for another podcast because this one I thought I'd just tell you about coffee. And my current coffee situation is I've got some great coffee beans in there. I have an electric grinder for if I'm feeling lazy in the morning. What I normally use is a hand grinder. Takes about 300 cranks on the hand grinder to get enough coffee beans ground up for a good pot of coffee. I've got some Ethiopian Yerga Chef, and I've got some Sumatran beans in there. Uh, and then I've got a great big bag of beans that I buy at Sam's, and I'll usually, you know, the expensive stuff, I'll mix half and half with the Sam's beans and grind them up together. And so I like the blend. That's a pretty good uh, way to stretch it. And I'll also buy some Kona coffee. Uh, the beans, they're kind of style. They're not really from Hawaii. But again, it makes a good foundation and it really pulls out the, the flavor of the uh, the Ethiopian or the Sumatran. Those are my favorites. I like uh, Tanzanian Peaberry. I don't know what your favorite is. I'm always interested to find out, but that's my current coffee situation. I've got a, a drip coffee maker that, that I like a lot. I've got a couple of French presses, including one I take camping when I go camping. Because, you know, everybody when they camp expects hand ground beans and a French press, right? <laughs> I don't know what most people take camping, but that's what I take camping. I've also got this other thing. It's called a Kona, C-O-N-A. And it's uh, it's like a science fair project, right? So it's got a glass carafe that hangs in this stand. And under the stand is fire. And you put water in the carafe. And then there's this glass tube that pokes down into the carafe. And it's got a big bowl at the top. And in the big bowl, you put coffee grounds. And then you light the fire. And when the water gets hot, it percolates up through the tube and fills up that uh, bowl that's got the coffee grounds in it. And you do that however long you want. And then you put the fire out. And the coffee runs down into the carafe and you pull the bowl and tube out. And it's, I'm telling you, it sounds like a bong, doesn't it? Not that any of us know what that is, but it sounds like it ought to be illegal, but it makes the best coffee ever. It just is very time consuming. Maybe we'll do a video of that sometime, or maybe you'll come over and we'll make it together. Usually when people are here and I start doing that, they're afraid to sit at the table and watch it because it might blow up. <laughs> it's not going to blow up, but it's, it's a great cup of coffee. So you could easily think I'm a coffee snob at this point. I haven't always been. Like I said, I was a Folgers guy for a long time. And in the ranching days, the full-time cowboy ranching days, I kept a Mr. Coffee coffee maker, the ones that Joe Garagiola used to advertise, kept one in the barn and just always had coffee on. And I wasn't always at the barn. I'd brew coffee and then I'd ride off to do something or drive off to do something or take something somewhere else. And But I always left the coffee on because people knew when they came over, they could get a cup of coffee whether I was there or not. And you could always tell who had been there by how they took their coffee. You know, if there was a lot of sugar gone, I knew Joe or Jody had been there. Uh, if all the creamer was gone, then my neighbor Humpy had been there. And he's a story all of his own someday. If his son George had been by, no coffee was missing, no sugar was missing, no creamer was missing, but you were probably missing some hand tools and a couple of bags of feed. And like that kid, uh, if Mr. Pete came by, uh, he'd still be there waiting for me to get back with a fresh pot of coffee. He always uh, took care of me. He had some interesting ideas about taking care of me. And again, Mr. Pete is a podcast or three all to his own. <laughs> we also drank a lot of coffee at what we called the Liars Club. 
it wasn't really the liars club. It didn't set out to be that way, but that's kind of the reality of the situation. When you work out in the country, I mean, I was three miles from a telephone all day long. And so it was really easy to fall out of communication with your friends and your neighbors. And there were a lot of us like that. And if you didn't go drink coffee with people, you might not see anybody all day long. You could go missing and nobody miss you for 12, 15 hours till dark and you didn't show up at home. So we usually started our day at the Liars Club. It was a, uh, oh, you've seen them in the country. They do a little bit of everything, right? It's a, it's a gas station and they've got, they make sandwiches and probably small engine repair and you can buy feed there or diesel or maybe get your taxes done. <laughs> There's just no telling. You know, just somebody in the country doing everything they can, offering off all the services they can just to try and, and stay in business there. And it had to be a challenge because we'd all show up for coffee and it was 35 cents a cup with free refills made by a pretty redheaded girl most of the time. See, there are a lot of redheads in my stories, y'all. And Cindy deserves a, a podcast of her own sometime too. But she usually made the coffee and all of us guys sat around and drank it at 35 cents, not a cup, just per day, right? Let me give you a few ideals about who was there. That'd be the best way to start that story. Now, pretty much anybody that came in could join us, but you know, they usually didn't. It's it's one of those places that had two or three tables with five or six chairs around each of them. And we all just kind of took over the whole place when we were there. The regulars included a guy named Mickey and uh, Mickey was a lineman. Uh, he worked out on pipelines or power lines. I'm not entirely sure what he did, but he was an interesting guy. And uh, I think my favorite Mickey story is he came in one day wearing a pink Oxford shirt. Y'all, this is the country. We'd never seen a man in a pink shirt before. And here comes Mickey. And now Mickey's stout. Nobody's going to give Mickey any trouble about his pink shirt. We just couldn't believe it. But we sat there at the table waiting for somebody to point out that, you know, Mickey wasn't looking his manly self in his pink shirt. But nobody said anything. And when he left, one of us went, well, how come none of y'all said anything about it? One of the oldest men there said, I figured if he's brave enough to come in here and wear a pink shirt, I wasn't going to say anything to him about it. I think that's how we all felt. Mickey could have defended his shirt if he wanted to. Uh, another regular was uh, Mr. Dossett. And Mr. Dossett, I think my favorite, I have a lot of Mr. Dossett stories. Jay Dossett was a fascinating man, and, and there's a lot of wisdom from him and a lot of uh, stories about him. But one of my favorites is uh, when you have a lot of cows and you're trying to have a cow-calf operation, a mama-cow operation, it's important that your cows get pregnant, right? And so you need to know if the cows are pregnant. Well, most of us paid the veterinarian 3 to $5 to come by our place and palpate our cows, and you can look that up if you really want to know. But they could tell pretty close whether or not a cow was bred back or not. And Mr. Dossett just wasn't going to pay that kind of money to a veterinarian. Now, you think about that. If you took your cat or dog in to see if it was pregnant, it would cost you $65, right? <laughs> this is, you know, 800-pound cows, and they'll do it for 3 bucks. That doesn't sound exorbitant to me, but Mr. Dossett just wasn't going to do it. And he'd heard about using a divining rod. You may have seen that on an old Western where somebody would get a tree branch shaped like a Y, and they'd walk around kind of in a trance until they found water in the ground. Well, Somebody told him you could use a divining rod on cows to see if they're bred or not. And if it veered over to the left, well, then they were open. If it veered over to the right, then they were pregnant. And that, that's cheaper than three bucks, right? And he said that his guess was about as good as the veterinarians most of the time, because it's not an exact science by any means. And, and we asked him one year, you know, how's the divining going? He said, well, I was doing pretty good until my bull came through the line and showed up bred back. So <laughs> it's not an exact science, is it? 
There was also an old welder there, and I can't think of his name to save my life. He was he was one of those he was amazing at what he did. He could weld cast iron or aluminum or anything in between. Really, really gifted welder. We didn't get along very well. He didn't like me any more than I didn't like him. I think my favorite story about him was now he went into town once a week and town for him was Mineola. He didn't go to Tyler hardly ever. That's, you know, Mineola was 5,000 people. Tyler was 75,000 people. He never saw any reason to go anywhere with that many people. But his wife wanted to go more often. And so she wanted him to teach her how to drive. And he said, I'm not going to teach you how to drive. You don't need to learn how to drive. And if you're married, you know what happened. He decided he better teach her how to drive. And so he told her how the car worked and they got in and she backed into the well house and knocked it over and decided once a week going into town was plenty for her. And he was not a very good teacher and she wasn't a very good driver. So once a week he drove her into town and they thought that was just fine. Then there was Jean and Cindy and they were the owners of the business. Jean would sit down with us sometimes. Cindy was usually too busy as you wives whose husbands own business can attest to. The wife is always busier than the husband can be. And then there was John, who's the best cowboy I have ever known in my life. Uh, there, when you're roping calves, there are a couple ways to do it. If you just figure eight their horns, which means your rope doesn't get anything but horns, you're an awesome cowboy. And that's really, really good. And John could do that anytime. If they don't have horns and you rope them, you don't want to just catch them around the neck because they might choke, right? So a really good cowboy will do what we call a foreleg. They'll foreleg them. And that means that the rope gets around their head and one arm, one, their front leg. And so when you pull it, they can't run, but they also can't choke. Well, John foreleged them all the time. He's just the best cowboy I have ever known, hands down. And I spent my life around the rodeo when I was growing up. This guy knows cows and he knows rope. And he's just a great guy. He's the kind of guy that if he roped one and didn't foreleg it, you could just laugh and laugh and laugh. And he'd blush to the roots of his hair and say, oh, shut up and don't tell nobody because he took it very seriously. He was a great cowboy. And, you know, uh, he was often at the Liars Club, but he never lied. Not one time that I knew him that he ever told a lie. Now, he might have said something you didn't understand, but he didn't ever tell anything that wasn't true. Love that guy. And then there was me and a few others who came and went through the days and years that we were there. So the way the Liars Club worked is we'd all sit around there and who, you know, you just come in, you get your cup of coffee and you sit down and you don't pay until you get up to leave. Well, whoever got up to leave first generally bought everybody's coffee. And that's kind of how it devolved. The first one to get up has to buy everybody else's coffee. Well, farming and ranching is... um pretty short on cash. Cash flow is always an issue. And so none of us wanted to pay, you know, if there were 10 of us, it'd be $3 and 50 cents, but nobody wanted to pay for the coffee. And so we would just sit there until somebody had to leave and then they would buy everybody's coffee. And what happened was if somebody was in a hurry, they had a lot of work to do that day. They needed to get back to the ranch or the farm. They would start telling lies and hope that eventually Somebody would just get disgusted and go, oh, for pity's sake, I'll buy the coffee and get up and go pay for it and walk off. And that got to be an established routine and everybody kind of got into the the game, I guess you'd say. We all kind of played that game a little bit. A couple of times when it really was funny is Mickey was talking about when he was in Vietnam and he was talking about one night these huge rats were, and he and he started talking about how big these rats were, and they were like big as dogs. And he went on and on about the details. And finally, the old welder went, 
That's it. I'll buy the coffee. I'm not listening to any more of your rat stories. And he got up and went and paid for everybody's coffee. And Mickey just laughed and laughed and laughed and never did admit whether that story was true or not. But his coffee was free that day. He saved 35 cents. How cheap is integrity, right? We all kind of felt like Mickey had put one on, put one over on the welder. We didn't know that for sure, but we thought maybe that's what had happened. So it was really funny one day when uh, another time we were talking and people started telling about the times they'd been on airplanes and how bad it had been. And Mickey was telling some story that went on and on and on about a really rough landing and how they almost crashed and they almost died. And when they got to the airport, everybody was crying and got out and kissed the ground. And Mr. Dossett, you know, we're all kind of quiet because if it's true, it's horrifying. And if it's a lie, is it bad enough to justify buying everybody's coffee? And into that silence, Mr. Dossett said, well, I've been up in an airplane 39 times, but I've never landed in one. And Mickey said, wait, you mean you've never been in an airplane? He said, no, I've been in an airplane a lot of times. I guess I've made 39 flights. I've just never landed in an airplane. And Mickey stared at him. He said, well, I know when I'm beat. And he got up and he bought everybody's coffee. And we all kind of sat there a little stunned because <laughs> we weren't sure what had happened. And the welder turned to Mr. Dossett after Mickey had paid our coffee and left. And he said, how in the world could you have been up in an airplane 39 times and never landed? And it turns out Mr. Dossett was a paratrooper in World War II. And <laughs> he had never landed. Every time he went up in a plane, they made him jump. And somebody was, we were just talking about it. They're like, well, had you ever thought about flying again? He said, no, I'm too old for somebody to throw me out now. I can't afford that anymore. <laughs> and I bet he didn't know in World War II that someday that, was, that story was going to get him a free cup of coffee. But it did. And we've all gone our separate ways now. And some of them have gone on. But I think of them and I, and I think of them and others when I'm making and drinking coffee in the morning. I think about my friend Jeff who taught me the trick of getting the filters to come apart. That's kind of frustrating, isn't it? And I think of Dale and Marcia and the night they stayed late after a party and they were sitting next to our coffee stash and there was some of it that was some weird flavor. I don't drink flavored coffees, but they wanted some, so I made it for them in my French press. Always think about them when I do that. And my friend Jack and my friend Mrs. Yutzi, who both sent coffee that my bride liked so much, and Lieutenant Paul, who used to drink it cold, and Fireman Dave, who sent me the darkest roast beans I have ever had. Uh, and my friend Julie, who actually owns a coffee company, and uh, she sent me some beans a year or so ago. It's so good. Need to get some more of those. Uh, Mike and Chris, who bring me coffee when they come from the Honduras to visit. And Amber, who brought me coffee when I was the only cowboy on the porch. And lots of others. And, and you too now, because you're listening to this, I'll be thinking about you in the morning when I'm grinding my coffee. Um, a lot of good memories and a lot of good coffee. And those are two of my favorite things. I've had a lot of uh, suggestions about the podcast, uh, music intro and music outro, and we're talking about that. We're working on transcripts because I have friends who can't hear, and I have friends who just would prefer to read. So we're working on transcripts of the podcast. Have had probably the most numerous requests for a question and answer. I'm not sure what format that takes, but I'm working on it technology-wise. I've got... Uh, a voice over IP phone set up so people could call in and leave a question, a comment, and we can actually put that into the podcast. So that's actually in the works now. Got that installed last week. Um, a good exit line. 
one of my friends had a heck of an idea. He said, you need an exit line. You need something to say at the end of every show so that we all know it's over. And of course, my first thought was so long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> and some of you will get that reference and some of you will not. And that's okay too. It doesn't matter. It's just a good exit line. And I've been thinking about it and, and I've written this, uh, this kind of, uh, as a as an ending for a lot of letters over the years, I've put it on a lot of postcards. Some of you may have a postcard with it on there. But like these notes for my podcast, I often write them at uh, at a desk in my downstairs gym area. I've got a desk there, and it's over 50 years old. And I write my notes with a pen I carry that's over 30 years old now. I can hang on to stuff, folks. And I sit at my 50-plus-year-old desk, and I write with my 30-plus-year-old pen, and I tell people, you know what? The best is yet to come. And I didn't believe it when I bought this pen, and I didn't believe it, certainly, when I inherited this desk. But I have found it to be true in my life that the best really is yet to come. And so I'm thinking as an exit line, that's what I want you to know. I want you to leave here remembering that. Maybe you drink coffee. Maybe you don't. Maybe you know somebody like Mr. Dossett. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have a friend like John who never lied. Maybe you don't. But you know what? I really do believe that the best is yet to come. This is Old Hat signing off. This was Episode 5. We'll see you soon for Episode 6.